Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Carol is chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, a nationally known gerontologist, and she serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And uh, we're going to be talking in just a couple of moments to uh, Dr. Nina Mosier, who Carol has a program that's uh, running in our Austin WellMed Senior Center, Power for Parkinson's. The Power for Parkinson's is a powerful program. Just amazing. It, It is amazing because I think a lot of us forget or don't know about Parkinson's and the need to overcome some of the movement issues. Uh, and I know Dr. Mosier is going to talk to us about why movement and Parkinson's actually go together. Before that, you've got some information on uh, a topic that should be of interest to a whole lot of folks, arts and healthy aging. This was an article in the New York Times by Jane Brody, um, who writes on health and aging. And she was talking about the documentary from a couple of years ago called Alive Inside, which was the documentary that where they actually showed older people with dementia. They gave them iPods, put music on the iPod that was reminiscent of the music, you know, from their, the person's they grew up era. Listening yeah, to. that they grew up listening to. And it became the Music and Memory Project, which we have featured here on Caregiver SOS on air. Uh, in fact, you know, a, a lot of communities have adopted this program this idea of music and it's stimulating the brain uh, and and helping to improve quality of life and so the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Institute on Aging are starting to fund a lot of activities in the arts vein so music dance painting quilting singing poetry storytelling and what they're finding is that it energizes older people it helps relieve depression and even here in our own backyard in San Antonio the Beale House Arts and the University of Texas Health Science System have been studying the impact of creativity and art on health. And so it's not just the New York Times. There is actually good scientific evidence that links healthy aging to artistic endeavors. And we see some of that at the uh, Lopez Senior Center at Calabar Crossing. You know, and I think art and writing as well. Art and writing, and you know, the story in the New York Times talks about an older woman in her seventies who developed a rap song about her life story. And kind of getting in touch with culture today was really an uplifting experience for her. Um, there was a gentleman, Dr. Cohen, Gene Cohen. Uh, from George Washington University, a gerontologist who passed away in 2009, and he directed the Center on Creativity and Aging in a big study. And in the film, Do Not Go Gently, he talked about a 96-year-old architect who had submitted design plans to rebuild the World Trade Center. So, you know, and it's just that idea of, it's not not just use it or lose it, but that tapping into that right hemisphere, the right brain. You know, with Alzheimer's, we, we do a lot of storytelling now because rather than trying to have them remember things they can't remember, how much better is it to say, let's make up a story? 
And then they can draw on what the strength, the things they do remember in their heads and create something uh, maybe that's in their in their own world anyway, but create a story from that world where they're now living. And it's it's very powerful. I had a taste of the connection to music the other night. Uh, Yosa, the Youth Orchestra San Antonio, uh, did a wonderful program here at the Tobin Performing Arts Center in San Antonio called Abbey Road Live. They took the Beatles album and the musical director, Troy Peters, scored it not only for the Philharmonic, uh, but for 12 rock bands who joined Yosa in that performance. And the minute they started playing some of that music that, that I remember like it was yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> hey Jude and All You Need Is Love. The entire audience, and they were young and old, more old than young, just went nuts, and it really connected. Well, that's it, it, because memories can evoke, I mean, sorry, music can evoke memories in us. You you know, you get that mood, you hear that song from your your first high school crush, and you get that warm, fuzzy feeling inside when you hear the music and the Beatles music. You know, so many of us grew up, and we associate that with with the time period and, and the age that we were in and whatever was going on. But there's there's a huge connection, and I'm thrilled. Uh, they're, they're saying that art is in happiness hormones. So getting into that creative side of you, um, it lowers blood pressure. It reduces stress hormones. You can get a runner's high. Art is good for you. I know there's a bumper sticker that said art is life in, in San Antonio that I've seen. And so art is the quality of life. You know, it's not all about loss creativity is building something and art is a creative process late in life you're building something new even though you're older you're listening to caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer i'm ron aaron along with carol zernio more and more research is taking a look at coffee and whether if you don't drink it now boy you probably ought to start in the new york times in the food section daniel victor was writing that you know he doesn't like coffee But there's so much research these days that's talking about how coffee is good for you and all of its benefits um, that he's wondering, should he start drinking coffee? So the benefits, you know, it can it increases driver safety. It can, you know, reduce melanoma risk. It can, you know, energize your workouts, talking about caffeine before you do your workout, improves your workout. You can survive colon cancer. We talked about that study that showed if you are had colon cancer and you drank caffeinated coffee, that you're improved much faster and your chance of living longer. And so he, said, he asked a, a doctor, you know, should I start drinking coffee? It's so good for me. So, you know, what they answered at the Mayo Clinic and at Harvard University is that it's one thing to say coffee is safe and it it does have some benefits. It's a whole different ball of wax to recommend that you take it up. And they're saying if you don't like coffee, which I really feel I'm a little sad for people who don't like coffee as as somebody who does like coffee. I like coffee, Uh, too. You know, and the smell of it. I, I know I have one son that hates the smell of coffee. He thinks it's just awful. So really? he'd be in this boat. But if you don't like huh. if you don't like coffee and you don't like what caffeine does to you, because I I'm a person that can't have caffeine, but I like the taste of coffee. If you get jitters or insomnia, whatever, uh, don't don't start drinking coffee as a health food is the recommendation. And I know you caregivers out there are are pulling long nights and you've got a lot of stress and maybe coffee's getting you through. So that's okay. But don't take it up if you aren't already a coffee drinker. It's funny. I love the aroma of coffee percolating in the morning. Oh, it's the best. And in fact, my automatic coffee pot, on a couple of occasions, I've been able to sleep late, but the coffee's on a timer. 
and it'll wake me up. The smell comes wafting oh, yeah. in. And I'm like, oh, it smells so good. Oh, no, I didn't have to get up this early. The coffee just woke me up because <laughs> exactly. it smelled so good. So you prepare it the night before. Well, it's like I say, it's put it yeah. together the night before and then the coffee machine. It's not a fancy. We're talking, you know, $10, $12 Mr. Coffee on a timer. Right. Not Analog the ex- clock. Not the ex- yes, not the espresso <laughs> right. shishi version. So I have a dog, and I've always had dogs and love dogs. And uh, you read more and more about dogs and seniors and what have you. And, and you have information about senior dog retirement homes. Well, I think I have discovered my my next job, my one in retirement. So I'm. This is a, the story about in Gaithersburg, Maryland. There is House with a Heart. And it is a retirement home for older, unwanted dogs where they bring in the dogs and they care for them and love them until they pass. So it's like hospice. Not necessarily that the dogs are sick, but, you know, they're dying of old age in some cases. Um, And I've decided that I'm being a cat person, as some people know, that maybe I need a cat nursing home. I can combine my gerontology with my inexplicable habit of having cats around how many are you feeding i I, yeah i can't say that on the air um but you know the national geographic actually did a video and you know look for it on house with a heart have a a handkerchief handy because you know even all the dog videos and all the you know the videos where they have the prevent uh, abuse of animals i cried during commercials i I cried during the commercials too but i thought this was lovely you know so nursing homes are not just for people now they're for dogs idea and soon to be for cats you know what's interesting because a lot of people who will get a dog and and they may be old the people and the dog may outlive them so what do you do? And, and that's one of the you know issues that we talk about when you're estate planning. Yes. You know, we talk who about who gets the dog making arrangements like uh, Leona Helmsley did, who owned all the all the big, money went all to the, the poodle. all the hotels in New York City, the Helmsley Palace, and she left all of her money to the dog. So in this case, the dog didn't need a nursing home; he had the penthouse, darling. He did. But speaking of nursing yes. homes, you've got a great story about a guy so, who broke the law. To create a better nursing home. And we were talking about nursing homes and animals. So if you've ever heard of the Eden Alternative started by Dr. Bill Thomas, which is, you know, an alternative nursing home. Dr. Thomas years ago in 1991 became the administrator of a nursing home in upstate New York. And he found that it was a depressing repository for old people whose minds and bodies were dull and dispirited. That's what he wrote. So he decided, listen what he put, he stocked his nursing home with two dogs, four cats, several hens, rabbits, and a hundred parakeets, along with hundreds of plants, a vegetable and flower garden, and a daycare sitter for the staffer's kids. And the nursing home came to life. When people started caring for the animals and the plants, their sense of responsibility and self-autonomy and interest in doing things was reignited. Um, And he started this Eden Alternative movement, which is going across the country. In fact, just today, I saw a grant that was going out in Texas to train nursing homes on Eden Alternative. So that's the way, you know, putting the life back into a nursing home. It's not a medical model. We have pets at home. We we have plants. They bring us comfort. Um, And why not? Why not in a nursing home have that, you know, kind of uh, support and love from the animals and the plants? You know, in the wake of Katrina, they found that uh, not allowing dogs to go on 
uh, buses and what have you when people were evacuating meant that some people wouldn't leave. Well, that's it. They, you Just know, they crazy. would rather. And I, we have known, you know, in social services, people who gave their all of their food when they couldn't afford food. The only food they had, they gave to their right. pets, and right. they starved. Exactly. So, you know, I just think it's a, you know, look for, if you're in a town, look to see if any of your nursing homes practice the Eden alternative. That's cool. Because uh, it's a neat model. We're going to talk about another neat model to help folks with Parkinson's get them moving, get them shouting. And we'll talk with Dr. Nina Mosier in just a couple of moments right here on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The Answer with Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Did you know there's only one walk to raise funds for seniors and caregivers in our community who are struggling? Join us Saturday, April 30th at 8 a.m. for the WellMed Charitable Foundation's 2016 5K Run Walk for Seniors. Just $25 for pre-registration, $30 on race day. Want to sleep in? Just $25 for sleepwalkers. Seniors age 60 and over, children 10 and younger, run or walk for free. It's all at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. For registration, wellmedcharitablefoundation.org. Thank you so much for sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. As we were suggesting uh, just a few minutes ago, we're delighted to have Dr. Nina Mosier join us, co-founder and director of Power for Parkinson's, a program that WellMed Charitable Foundation is very familiar with because they offer it in the Senior Center in Austin. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. And Carol, tell us a little bit about how we got involved in that program and Nina can join us. Well, you know, the program, let me just say, is fabulous. I was at the Austin Senior Center a couple of weeks ago and had happened to arrive right as they were starting a class on move and shout. Um, so I'll let Dr. Mosier talk about the class, but we've been doing Power for Parkinson's since we opened the Austin Senior Center, and I think it's such a wonderful service. There were 26 people in the class um, the day that I was there, which you don't have 26 people in classes, you know, in other classes. I could have a cooking class with less people. That's a pretty big group. So Dr. Mosier, tell us about how you started Power for Parkinson's um, and about the different components. Okay, well, um, Carol, I'm so glad you got to, to see that class because that's a really exciting class, and at WellMed, it's been so important to our program. And uh, just to let the listeners know, so Power for Parkinson's um, is a nonprofit. It's a free, we provide free exercise and dance classes um, all around the Austin Round Rock Lakeway area currently. Um, we've been in... Uh, yes, it's been operating for the last three years, and um, we started the program with uh, three classes and about 30 people three years ago, and we now offer eight, uh, no, 11 free classes at eight different locations and serve close to 250 people every week, so... Um, well, let's it's go an back. Exciting program, and uh, I'm glad you got to see that class. Let, let's go That's back to the beginning. You get your medical okay. degree at uh, Hahnemann University in Philadelphia, a, a wonderful, wonderful medical school, BA at Northwestern. You go off to practice as an internist, special interest in geriatric medicine. How did you hit upon uh, power for Parkinson's? What was the genesis of it, uh, and, and what got you motivated? Well, that's a good question. I um, so I did practice medicine for ten years um, and took off a lot of time, and probably twelve or thirteen years uh, to take care of my 
uh, children. And um, during that time, my father was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and um, which got progressively worse. And I guess as my kids were getting older and I was trying to help my, my father um, with his Parkinson's, he had just finished a course of physical therapy, with a special type of physical therapy for Parkinson's called Big and Loud. And after completing a six-week program, he came home and he was, I said, well, so now what are you going to do, Dad? And he said, well, I'm supposed to do this home program, which he never, he didn't even know where the, the paperwork was to tell him how to do it. And we, we tried to work on Skype a little bit, and that was good for a, a while. And I started looking for classes for him. He lived in Philadelphia, so I looked for classes for him that really didn't exist. Started researching uh, in the Austin area and uh, discovered that really wasn't an option. And um, more and more literature had been coming out about exercise and the benefits it had for Parkinson's disease. And that experience, along with um, my good friend Susan Stahl, who is our co-founder and director also, uh, her father had recently passed away from the disease, but had been a big advocate for exercise. So well, we got together and pulled this program together. Well, I remember the first thing I heard was when Laura Cisneros, who oversees all of the WellMed Charitable Foundation Senior Centers, she said... That, that there's a class called Dancing with Parkinson's. Do you think we want to do it? And I said, I love that title. I absolutely, we have to do Dancing with Parkinson's. I just think that's a fantastic title and concept. Yes. Well, that program, um, coincidentally, when we were just starting in December of 2012, just coming up with our idea, we had met um, a woman named Nancy Bain who had been training in New York City with um, for uh, dancing with Parkinson's. And somehow we, the stars were aligned and we connected. And she was our first and is still our, our main dance instructor. And uh, so that was our first class at WellMed. And that class, yeah. the dancing, the dancing for Parkinson's is actually a national curriculum that's pretty rigorous. You can't, not just anybody, because we've tried to expand that program in San Antonio. Um, but you have to be a, a, a very, very uh, qualified dance instructor to lead that class. Exactly, and that is a amazing program. I think it's in every, in almost every state now and in 11 different countries and it is very rigorous it requires a lot of training and um well tell us so about really have, excited to be able to have it here for those who've just joined us you're listening to caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer i'm ron aaron along with carol zerniel our special guest dr nina mosier a physician uh who got involved in and helped found a program called Power for Parkinson's. Uh, we all assume everybody knows what Parkinson's is, but everybody doesn't know what it is. So can you give us the 101 on Parkinson's and, and why uh, physical activity would be helpful? Sure. Um, well, that is a really good point because I think most people don't know that much about Parkinson's. They think of someone maybe with a tremor. Yeah, they know the symptom. Uh, pardon me? They would know the symptom. 
Yes, they would notice symptom, but really what it is, it's, it, it is a neurodegenerative movement disorder that has a tremendous impact on quality of life. And those people that suffer from Parkinson's often have a decline in their strength, their balance, the speed of their gait, their vocal strength, among many other symptoms. <laughs> and it affects their physical, psychological, social, and just overall functional status, and it affects the whole family. So, of course, we're talking about caregivers. It affects and the caregiver and the family and almost as much. Well, um, and there are no medications so the, to alleviate. You know, there are medications to help the symptoms, I'm sorry, but there is no cure for this disease. So why is exercise, um, because it's obviously the Parkinson's uh, inhibits movement, so why is movement good for you? Well, another great question. Well, it's kind of, um, it's like looking at your body kind of like a machine, and you need to keep it limber, you need to keep it well-oiled, kind of, and by exercising, it just helps keep the body going and not only that I mean it has that the physical component um, that helps people with Parkinson's move better and helps them with their balance but it has uh, it just really impacts their mood and that's another major symptom of Parkinson's that I, I didn't mention but so often Parkinson's people get depressed and feel isolated so getting involved in a program like ours um, really the combination makes a huge difference. Well, and, and I think a lot of people out there that, you know, arthritis, people who suffer from arthritis often stop the physical activity because they have pain. Um, and the studies show that actually exercise is very important for people with arthritis, that keeping those joints oiled like you were talking about actually reduces the pain and, and helps in all the ways you talked about, both the movement and the mood. Um, and so Parkinson's is, is the same thing. It's uh, it's something that may be counterintuitive for a lot of people uh, that suffer from the disease or care for someone who's suffering from Parkinson's. Exactly. So, and I think that's um, really important, and that's the, been the great thing about our program, is because once we get, once somebody tries one class, they are hooked. Um, we have a huge retention rate. I mean, probably 90% of the people that come to our classes wow. continue. Now, is it um, an equal Unless something comes up, unless they move or they develop another medical huh. issue. But other than that, once they come, I think they feel so welcome and they're just so grateful to have that experience, be able to exercise and be with other people that are suffering or having, you know, dealing with the same symptoms. You mentioned and your dad. caregivers, too. You mentioned your dad had uh, Parkinson's, and uh, I'm thinking about an interview I saw recently with Michael J. Fox, who's like the poster child now for Parkinson's right. and awareness. Uh, is it an equal opportunity disease, men and women, or mostly men? Um, it really is. It's probably a little bit more common in men. I mean, I've seen statistics that say it's one and a half times is more common, but it's hard to say. And we have, there's, there are a lot of issues with diagnosing Parkinson's, and I, I think doctors are getting, on, are learning more now about the earlier symptoms, so more people are being diagnosed. 
a little bit earlier, but um, we have a lot of women. I'm probably, well, I think we have almost an equal number of women to men in our program. Well, what would the early symptoms of Parkinson's be? Well, oftentimes the very first symptom is a loss of a sense of smell, which is something people, you know, have just written off in the past. But that is a very, very early symptom. Um, and there can be some cognitive issues that, that might start um, early on. And then just sometimes just that that little tremor, just like one finger could be uh Good start, you know, be the first first sign. But um, that loss of sense of smell is very common and uh, one that not everybody knows about. Well, there's a there's a study that shows a linkage between the smell of peanut butter as a test for Alzheimer's, where depending on how far away you can smell peanut butter and you have to block off one side of your nose and then the other. So I'm constantly, every time I make a peanut butter sandwich, I play the peanut butter smell test for Alzheimer's since there's we've got family members with Alzheimer's. How you doing so, so far? Yeah, so far I can smell that peanut butter, I promise. And there's actually half a sandwich in my car. My whole car is going to smell like peanut butter. Um, so loss of sense of smell, you know, maybe that sounds like something we shouldn't ignore yeah no there's really uh in fact that's with my father who is a doctor and my and myself but years ago when he first lost his sense of smell and he, he thought it was from a bike accident which may very well actually have triggered the parkinson's we'll never know what came first but um he had lost his sense of smell many many years ago so it's it's an interesting symptom. All right, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. We're talking with Dr. Nina Mosier about power for Parkinson's. We're going to find out about the program. We'll get a website for you and more information on how exercise and activity uh, may be very helpful in in dealing with Parkinson's. I'm Ron Aaron, uh, along with Carol Zerniel. We're Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. We're talking with Nina Mosier on Caregiver SOS On Air uh, about her work as the co-founder and director of Power for Parkinson's. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernil, and we're talking about uh, what would seem to be counterintuitive but works, and that is uh, with Parkinson's uh, programmed physical activity can be very helpful. And what's offered in fitness for Parkinson's is dancing for Parkinson's, move and shout, balls and balance classes, and a whole lot more. Uh, And as you've gotten involved in this program, uh, Nina, I gather it's really been embraced by the Parkinson's community in Austin and elsewhere. Well, it it really has. And um, the different classes that we're offering now. And we try to... um, offer classes that will be um, that where everybody can find something that they're going to like and, and we feel like that's probably the most important thing is that people find a form of exercise that they really enjoy and our classes incorporate a lot all of those classes that you just mentioned incorporate you know strength and balance and um, 
coordination and complex sequencing, which is really important for the cognitive um, issues that are associated with Parkinson's and really help develop what we call like neuroplasticity. Well, so the, the one new course, brain pathways. The, the one course that doesn't fit into the traditional fitness track where you've got the balance and the strength training, the dancing, uh, is the move and shout class that I saw where the people are sitting in chairs and they're, sh- they're literally shouting, shout for <laughs> Parkinson's. So why were they shouting? Well, in Parkinson's, people, um, like they get weak, like their other muscles get weak and slow. That's the same thing with, with the vocal cords. And so their voices get very soft. And um, that's why we have Move and Shout to help them strengthen their voices and practice uh, projecting their voices. So... They can be heard, and that's a really um, challenging problem for a lot of people, and and one of the things that isolates them, because they have trouble communicating. People are always saying, what, what, what did you say? So by giving them that opportunity to really project in that big room, um, it's very helpful. And we try to integrate that in all of our classes. The move and shout, of course, is... Always louder. <laughs> yeah, there is a whole class on it. Class. Pardon me? I said you, you've got it. Yeah, the move and shout was definitely everyone shouting at the same. It was like uh, <laughs> karate where yeah. they're yelling, huh? Yes, yes. So we we have even uh, one other class, move and shout, with about 45 people. So you can imagine in a, in a, uh, well, one well, in a uh, very large hall. One of the things you've mentioned a couple of times is the cognitive, there may be cognitive difficulties with Parkinson's. And so um, in the course of my career, I have had people that were in a respite program for people with dementia who had Parkinson's dementia. So is that normal or is that rare? Uh, Actually, about 60% of people that are diagnosed with Parkinson's at some point will develop an element of dementia and the de- it's varying degrees that um, how much they'll be affected but it's fairly common as the disease progresses. That's a big number, 60 percent? It is. So do your classes, when you're teaching the classes, do you take into account that there may be some cognitive impairment with the people in the class? Absolutely. You're having trouble with your cell phone. So complex sequences that we do in our classes. So a lot of times our instructors will start with one movement, add a second one and third and even maybe a fourth and repeat the movements, and that can, that helps in in the memory and the cognitive um, function. Sure. And then, so we are always thinking about that, and I think it's good for anybody, but especially with someone in Parkinson's, it's hard. They have a lot of trouble with also that connection, that mind-body connection. So what does so that mean, mind-body? It's mind a little body. longer for them to process. 
So they're, they're, the instructions. they're thinking about a movement, but it's not coming out yet. Yes. Which happens yeah. to me in flamenco class all the time, I can tell you. <laughs> At some point when the castanets are going and the hands are moving and the feet, I freeze. Everything just stops. It's that yes. hand-body connection. It's like the dinosaur. Well, I have that, too. I can promise you. Oh. Our classes are tough, but I'm amazed every single day what our population can do. And we have people, we, we include all the care partners. We call them care partners and not caregivers, but they're, they all are welcome, and many of them come, and sometimes they have more trouble than the people with Parkinson's. How, how often some is of that instructions. someone with Parkinson's, how, how often do they take these classes? Is it once a week, twice um, a week, three times a week? Um, it depends. Uh, we offer classes every day of the week someplace. Um, it just it really depends, I think, where the classes are offered. Most try to go to two. We have some people that go to four or five a week if they can manage the transportation. But one of the things uh, I just wanted to point out that I think is really unique about our program and our approach is that we... Uh, really aim to reach the different communities in like in our pro- excuse me in our sprawling city and um, we don't want people driving too far so we've really been able to um, offer classes in many different areas by donate the spaces have all been donated to us like WellMed and um, we're trying to reach the community. And uh, little by little, we're expanding. And we're off keeping all of our classes free of charge. And we recently just launched a new home video series that people can access. And we have a very strong social media pro- uh, presence. So people all over the country follow us and all over the world have been following us now. So now we have been videotaping full-length classes, and they're very, they're free and accessible on YouTube. Oh, where, where do we find you on YouTube? So um, you can either go to our website, which is uh, www.power4parkinsons.org, or you can go directly to YouTube and just look us up, and you'll, our channel will pop up. So are, for Parkinson's. Are you training other people? Are you is this just in Austin right now? Are you able to train people in other places to deliver the program? Well, so far we've been fairly local. Like I said, we've gone Round Rock and Lakeway, which are neighboring right. um, cities, but we have had at least half a dozen other cities in Texas reaching out to us and um, and a few other states. So we're in the process of developing a model so we can train people and hopefully bring this program elsewhere. How do you fundraise? Uh, we currently um, have done, well, we've relied primarily on private donations and or individual donations uh we just 
finished a big fundraiser in Austin. It's called Amplify Austin, which is an online uh, day of giving. It's like the big give they have in San Antonio. Yes, yes. So we've actually been extremely successful with that um, program. When we first started, we had a really big car show, uh, which we had been doing for a few years, even before we started, uh, in support of dystonia and Parkinson's. So, um, and what is dystonia? Dystonia is a related disease, which I started in. I, I, my son started for our nephew as dystonia, but it's more. Um, that's kind of a. It's another movement disorder that can affect children. Mm. It's there. It's related to Parkinson's. So, so, so that you... but those are our main fundraisers so far, um, and. That's how we raise money, but I can say that we've been so lucky because a lot of our participants are giving to us, the community has embraced us, and as well as the neurologists and physical therapy, physical therapists in the area. Well, I know that we would love to have the program at all of our WellMed senior centers in San Antonio and Austin and Corpus Christi and the Valley and we're moving into Florida so you know I you can give me a call whenever you've got your train the trainer program ready because we would certainly you know love to be able to offer this to people with Parkinson's uh, in all of our well-med communities uh, and draw the attention of the National Institute of Senior Centers under the National Council on the Aging. I would love to tell them about your program as well. Well, we would love to do that, and we'd love to be able to bring it to San Antonio. We went to a uh, conference that the Michael J. Fox Foundation sponsored, and um, one in Dallas and one in Houston, we had many people from San Antonio coming to our booth and saying, when are you coming to San Antonio? When are you coming? And we're, we're, we're trying to get in, in a place where we can do that. And I know WellMed has been just so supportive of what we're doing. And we're just so lucky to be able to offer two classes uh, here in Austin. And if we could make that connection in San Antonio and make that available would be Fantastic. We're only ninety we minutes. Love, only love ninety minutes away. Ninety minutes south of you. <laughs> I know. Depending I know. on traffic. Depending on traffic. That's so, right. um, so tell <laughs> us, tell us again, uh, if people want to know, learn more about Parkinson's, the disease, um, do you, do you direct people to the National Parkinson's Foundation for that information? Well, there are many. Uh, organiza- national organizations that do have some great information, so that is one of them. And Michael J. Fox Foundation is another. Their their focus is on um, research, but they do have a lot of great information. So either one of those are great resources for some general information. So when do we find a cure? Well, that's a good question. People are working really hard. Yeah, we've got <laughs> it's a, yet another and I wish disease. I could tell you. Yet another <laughs> disease that we that we don't have a cure for. I know it's on the list of diseases. If we can if we can slow aging, because Parkinson's is another one that incidence goes up with aging. 
then we can yeah. delay the onset of Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, arthritis, you know, and it's about 13 other diseases. What's the average age of onset for Parkinson's? Um, usually it's about 60, but it could surface at any time. I mean, oh. pe- there are people... Like Michael J. Fox, Parkinson's. who are younger. Yes, was he was, I think, 29, but that's very rare. Right. Uh, but there we do have young onset park people with Parkinson's, but typically... Uh, they're diagnosed between 60 and 80. Well, we have to stop you right here, Nina. We really appreciate Dr. Mosher coming on with us and sharing information about power for Parkinson's, and we look forward to uh, having you in the studio when you bring the program to San Antonio. Oh, fantastic. You take care. Bye-bye. Well, well thank you so much. Our pleasure. Nina Mosier and Power for Parkinson's. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. Did you know there's only one walk to raise funds for seniors and caregivers in our community who are struggling? Join us Saturday, April 30th at 8 a.m. for the WellMed Charitable Foundation's 2016 5K Run Walk for Seniors. Just $25 for pre-registration, $30 on race day. Want to sleep in? Just $25 for sleepwalkers. Seniors age 60 and over, children 10 and younger, run or walk for free. It's all at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. For registration, WellMed Charitable Foundation. We're so pleased to bring you Take 10 at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us for Take 10, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert in addictions and uh, also spends a whole lot of time working with and for and on behalf of caregivers. And Carol, you've got a great topic that you have come up with, decision fatigue. I can't make another decision as long as I live. Well, I've been reading about decision fatigue, and I have heard caregivers express the opinion that they feel like they have to make all the decisions, you know, especially when it's a single caregiver. So I'm just wondering, what do what do the, the stories mean when, when they write about decision fatigue? Because I heard it's an actual thing. So what is it? Um, and why do caregivers have to face decision? Why are they facing decision fatigue? Well, that's a great question. You know, actually decision fatigue, so the audience knows because they've listened to Take 10, I'm sure, for some time now, is a kissing cousin, uh, Carol, to compassion fatigue. Uh, it, it literally is a, a, a part of burnout, if you will. And in fact, as we treat and we deal with healthcare professionals around the country today uh, with the, you know, vocational burnout, what's happening in the work site, what's happening in their lives, um, we sometimes substitute decision fatigue where the word compassion fatigue is because physicians also are, who are caregivers, professional caregivers, are making decisions on a wholesale basis and decision fatigue can create a lot of challenges, even medical errors and poor outcomes. And that, that goes with family caregivers too. So decision fatigue, I know that, you know, you, you, if you're in charge at the office and you make all these decisions at the office and then you go home and your kid wants to know this and that, and then you've got caregiving duties and you have to decide things for the person that you're caring for, I mean, that's a lot of decisions in one day on an everyday well, basis. It is. And, and, and again, that's why you have to have a strong foundation as a person, mind, body, and soul, because these 
as a caregiver, these decisions are coming fast and furiously. And the, the challenge is, I mean, you really have to be very strategic. Many caregivers just put on the cape and jump into the phone booth and become the super person, and decision-making becomes part of their M.O., and I'm not sure that's always the best thing. That's a real isolating sort of uh, way to look at it. And I think that decisions uh, that are made collectively with families, with healthcare professionals, with people around, um, really reduce, let's say, successful sort of, I mean, I mean, reduce uh, poor outcomes and, and increases success. So I heard you say that for doctors who are literally making decisions about people's health and what they need to do about it, you know, day after day, and for caregivers who are making all those decisions of what their loved one needs to do, um, that it can lead to bad decisions. Bad outcomes. Bad outcomes, bad decisions. It can make, lead to errors. So what? why do we start, why does our judgment start declining when we're burnt out or we're overloaded? Well, because decision fatigue, as we're calling it, can lead people to avoid decisions entirely. <laughs> it's, it's really a phenomenon we call decision avoidance. Uh, the, the, it's the other side of the continuum. When things come at you at a rapid rate and then decisions are just, uh, you know, like a, like a hurricane, things that you have to make at a particular point in time, you, the whole system, if it's not energized, passioned up, if it's health and wellness is not well, will shut down and go into what we call decision avoidance. And sometimes when you make decisions as quickly as you can in, in really kind of tough situations, um, you know, how totally on point can you be? So decision avoidance, and and I think that that you know I can think of situations where that has has happened to people where they just stop making decisions, um, and they're just like in, I don't want to say you know they're in limbo. They can't. They're not going to go right. They're not going to go left. We're just going to swirl and stay right where we are, and not decide anything. And sometimes. Ac- actions and activities in the real world makes those decisions for you. Well, it's true, Ron. Which that reinforces important... not deciding. But that's, an, but that's an important point, though, too, on the positive side to it. Sometimes the decisions will come to us. Obviously, a physician may not have that luxury. But for a family caregiver, if you will, um, they can actually take a breather, go and meditate, bring the family in, uh, you know, set the stage, if you will, for silence, if, uh, and a strategy around that silence so that the decisions come to you so you don't have to jump in and make one extraordinarily quick and let's say you're running on empty at the time you're doing it. Well, I think that you made a really good point, that idea of if you know we really don't know what to do or we don't want to make a decision. Um, you know, Even in my work life, I can think of times where I like figuratively throw that on the back burner um, and not actively think about it, but after I get a good night's sleep, I wake up, and the decision will come to me. Yes, and that's how group work really works too. The beauty, you know, let me t- turn turn over the cards here. When I have eight clients in a group, um, sometimes that silence is the most powerful intervention we have. It's not with somebody telling somebody what to do or advising them or making a suggestion. It's the silence in the group that collectively starts getting filled up with 
with you know other people's energy that really then comes to what we call you know a collective decision well and i also heard you say it's okay to reach out and let other people help you make that decision so when you hit the wall and you really either don't know what to do or don't want to figure it out by yourself it's okay to ask other family members or professionals to help weigh in on that decision Totally agree, and, and and sometimes when the family is a little tough to access, or there's still some voodoo going on that hasn't been resolved, this is all the more reason why a therapist or a geriatric care manager or somebody who is used to making or the good decisions or have seen decisions, you know, eight times out of ten work, um, are great counsel, are great advisors, and great consultants along the way in this caregiving experience. Well, those of you who just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. So, Carol, when when you reach that point talking about decision fatigue or decision avoidance, do you know you're doing that? I think people do know. I think think most of the time we know when we're not um, working or in good, what do I want to say, when our minds aren't working well, like mine right now. Um, and that's just because of the time zone, Chan. I'm just telling you that daylight savings time going on is, it's really, a, bad thing. is a bad thing. And it, it makes me make the decision I don't want to get up. Um, but, you know, I think we do know when we're not performing at our best. I think we do know when we're like shutting down and, and doing those kinds of activities to ourselves. Do you, would you agree, don't, Jamie? Don't forget, Ron, fatigue is, is a lack of energy and motivation and drowsiness and apathy. All that comes along with fatigue. Sounds like depression. Decision fatigue. It could be any fatigue. Sounds like depression. Well, it can be. You know, this is very important to understand. This could be a trigger, an exacerbator that throws us more into depression. Uh, It could be also very much a part, a dynamic of depression. And so this is really important that you bring this up. I mean, if this is going on in somebody's lives for two weeks or more, let's say, this feeling of of this drowsiness or lack of energy or the fatigue, if you will, decisions, go get an assessment. Go get an evaluation. This is a very critical time to do it. Or, and, and at a minimum, you know, maybe reflect on yourself, why am I feeling this way? Why am I having difficulty making this decision? What's going on with me? And, and kind of turn into yourself and think about it. Because sometimes I know when I get angry, you know, if I lash out at my son and I have to think, why am I yelling at him? I know I'm not mad at him. So what is it that's bothering me that's causing me to act in a way I really don't want to act? No doubt. This is all things that are going to be symptomatic and things that we look at. If we know we're not what we could call on the beam, if you will, when you're off the beam, you're falling. It's like a circus act. But if you're not on the beam, you know well and you know yourself well. So reach out to a support group. Reach out to a professional reach out for help and when you reach out for help uh it can be helpful absolutely you know more two heads are better than one ron have you heard that one recently i have heard that one there you go so actually more than two heads are even better than two so go for it right so so i think in closing we have to say that if you are having difficulty making decisions if you feel like that's all you do and you cannot do it anymore um that that's a sign of burnout it is a call uh, to you to get some help to share the load uh, and not just swirl in your own indecision sounds like a great caregiver teleconnection topic all right a great one all right jamie you're on
No, Jamie well, could I do can that. I tell you, this is a beautiful thing. Last week's topic and this week's topic, they're all ways that we can gauge ourselves. Go within. Do not push this away. Do not ignore it. Do not put it under the blanket. Go and get a professional's assessment and evaluation. All these are reasons, actually, to take care of ourselves in a, in a powerful way. This is where caregiving can really help us grow. So we've got about 20 seconds, Dr. Jamie, and, and we don't do this often enough. For those who want to know more about you, where do they go? Well, certainly they, they can go right to Carol or you. You seem to know more about me than I know about myself. But if not, feel free to go to drjamie.com, which is D-R-J-A-M-I-E. It's in a total rewrite, but at least you'll find out a little bit about me. Thank you. Stop you right there. Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. Ron Aaron with drjamie.com. And Dr. Jamie live on Take 10 and Carol Cernio, 9.30 a.m. The Answer. That's us. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer.